You trust me, right? I mean, you've got to. You keep coming back for more. Either that or you're just looking for entertainment value and you're thinking what a dope this guy is. The Car Doctor. I had a lot of engines apart in my life, but the problem becomes engines today have gotten very unforgiving. All right? One wrong move, one slip of the wrench, one one missed cue, one misplaced bolt, and all of a sudden you've got this big pile of scrap sitting in front of you. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron and the car doctor here at 855-560-9900. Give us a call. Pick up the phone and let's talk about your car and its problem, whatever it is. We'll uh, help you get to the bottom of it because that's what I've been doing these past 27 plus years now. I think it's 26 or 27. I get older by the day. And I always think I'm, uh, I always get better as I get older because my, my imagination gets wilder and wilder. So the uh, board today is handled by the one and only No Baloney, not a phony. He's the real deal, Big Tony. He's on the board, and thank you very much. And we've got our uh, our rookie producer in there on the phones. He's no rookie to the automotive world, but he's a rookie to us. And uh, we're breaking Danny in this week producing, so uh, we'll see how he does on the phones. And uh, you can look forward to talking to Danny. Make sure you ask him about his nine motorcycle collection. Always expanding, always looking for more, always looking for the eclectic. And he's actually always looking for some that actually run, so that's a whole other story. But, um, you know, Danny's running the phones, and uh, Tom Ray is in absentia. I think he is off visiting the daughter unit away at college, and uh, we wish him well. We hope he has a nice family fun day. I want to tell you a quick story, and then I'll go to the busy phones. The phones are, are backed up, so Danny must be doing his job. I think he's out there walking the street with a sign that says, hey, call the car doctor, and he's got phones already lined up, so he got calls going. You know, it's a funny occurrence. I, I, I've got this 05 Chrysler 300C. It's been at the shop a couple of months. Eh, it's been at the shop more than a month. It'll be a year January. And the way it came about was, and I've talked about this car from time to time, as I as I continue to unravel what what's going, what what went wrong, and what continues to go wrong as we're trying to resolve it to get it back to the customer. And this is the car that there's an emotional attachment to it. It was the it was the dad's car, and now the 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 older son has it. And you know, there's some memories there, football games with pop, and that kind of a thing. So we've, we're going to fix this car. I'm guessing about two years ago. This car developed the rattle that David was concerned about, this rattling, knocking noise, this tinny rattle that just just sounded horrible. It sounded like something was going to fall out of the car. And he parked it. He stopped driving the car. Now, I think I told you this story somewhere back over the summer where it turned out that as a result of sitting the magnets, they put a magnetic band around the rear drive axles, actually all the drive axles, that's what runs the ABS on this, that it's magnetic. It's a magnetic sensor-style ABS, and the magnets had actually rusted and rotted, and pieces of them fell off the axle. That, in turn, prevented the car. Now, now dig this, right? We talk about electronics and the complicated you know, sequence of events that can happen. Because the ABS didn't function, the speedometer didn't work. The the PCM, the powertrain control module, and the TCM, the trans control module, didn't have any input on vehicle speed. It did not know how to shift the transmission. 
car never went out of first gear. You could bring it up to about 18 miles an hour. It was screaming like a banshee. And then nothing would happen. It wouldn't upshift. And, gee, is it, you know, if this was an old school car, you'd go, boy, the trans is bad. No. You know, it was and it's some diagnosis. Put a right rear axle in it. Put a left rear axle in it. And it works absolutely perfect. It's fine. It it shifts now. It operates. It does what it's supposed to do. I've got about $5,500 worth of brakes, tires, fluids, filters, belts, hoses, and all the other rusty things and cleaning out the cobwebs and all the other things we've got to do from sitting for the past two years. But the kicker, you know, I guess I guess there's a little bit of Columbo in me in that I want to go back to what started this. How did the car get to the point where this happened? What makes somebody park a car for a year, a year and a half, two years, whatever it was? Because it's a long time. I mean, this car... Underneath of this car sort of looks like, remember that opening sequence of the Munsters when Herman walked up the stairs and the and the cobwebs? This car kind of looked like it could have been in the opening sequence of the Munsters. It was just cobwebs everywhere. Well, it turns out that one of the heat shields on the floor pan had rusted away, and it was laying against the exhaust pipe. And it made such a racket under the right conditions at the right speed and the right load it would actually scare the bejesus out of you, all right? It You know, and you, you got to know what the bejesus is if you're from New Jersey, if you've ever been through New Jersey. The bejesus is that is that eerie feeling you get when you're cruising the turnpike at 3 in the morning and you're looking at the at the, at the the empty Pine Barrens in South Jersey or you're looking at the, the Vince Lombardi service area up in North Jersey because there never seems to be anybody in it after 8 o'clock at night. I'm not sure why. It's just eerie, right? Took a couple of self-tapping screws because the, the, the support tabs were long gone, and we we just sheet metaled it, just sheet metal screwed it right to the bottom of the floor pan. Uh, you know, shorties, they went through the pan, but they didn't go a whole lot into the jute of the carpet underneath, and it doesn't matter at this point in the game. We're just trying to get it up off the ground. And you know what? That car runs and rides absolutely perfect. I mean, nice car, really nice car. And, you know, you've got to ask yourself, Why? You know, it's a shame. They, they, the, the car sat, and it created such a mess and made it so much more difficult in terms of, of, of what transpired that, you know, something so simple, something that would have probably been no more than, oh, you know, a few hundred dollar repair or maybe less, all of a sudden became everything. And the point of this opening conversation is you got a car, it's got any squeaks, got any rattles, it's got any noises. Now, not two years from now, not let it sit, not when you get to it. Now. All right. This week at the shop, it was all it was it was all last minute fire drill stuff. It was everybody had waited, you know, they started making this noise and you, you went oh, back in May and you know, over the summer and I was coming back, you know, you know you're in trouble when the customer says, I was coming back from LBI in July. Lady, it's the middle of October, all right? Like, what are we waiting for? You know, it's, it's well, I had to get the kids to school. And, you know, every excuse. We always have excuses, all right? But we don't have excuses when we're stuck on the side of the road, and that's my concern. I was coming home last night late. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. I, I, I was out late, and there was a broken-down vehicle on the side of the road at two in the morning. And it was it was a couple of people in the car and I it looked like a flat tire and the hood was up and looked like they were having some issues. 
I didn't stop because, you know what, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, it's Jersey, and you don't know what's going on. I did call the cops. I did make them aware. I did, you know, make the phone call in case somebody there didn't have a cell phone because I never like to assume, well, somebody must have called. I'm sure somebody took care of that. The point is you can't always count on that. And we live in a world where I don't know that you can always stop, not at 2 in the morning. So you can't expect help either unless you're ready to get it. Car making a noise, get it into the mechanic and let's go talk about it. And whether it's me or the next guy or whoever it is, get it resolved because you don't want to end up like that Chrysler 300 that for lack of a one or $200 repair, you're now faced with a five $6,000 repair. They don't fix themselves and they don't get better all by themselves. Hello and welcome. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. Car Doctor Facebook page, of course, Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor out there on Facebook. You can email me during the week if you're looking for me, ron at cardoctorshow.com. Answer your questions and take your calls and uh, do whatever I can for you to help resolve your automotive problem. That's uh, that's what I do, folks. That's You know what? That's the fun of this job. I get to, do, I get to fix cars during the week, Monday through Friday, and I'm here Saturdays just for you because this show is live on the network Saturdays, 2 to 4 p.m., and uh, we are you know syndicated around the country, and you, some of the affiliates, we appreciate it. Pick us up and take us out afterwards. So, uh, you know, I'm here. Give us a call. Leave a message. 855 is a 24-7 phone number. You can leave a message, and uh, our producers will call you back and get you in line up for the next live show. Let's kick the phones open. What do you say, Tony? i got a couple of minutes. Uh, let me just go say hello to Bill real quick. Let's get him up on, and we'll, we'll do and We'll go to break. Hey, Bill, you there? Is it Bill from Michigan, I bet you? Uh, you got it, Ron. How are Thanks you, Bill? Thanks for taking the call. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm well. How about you? Oh, not bad. What do you got today? Uh, son has a 2014 uh, Impala 3.6 V6 with 54,000 miles. I'm right in the heart of your noise issue. I've got two front brake backing plates that are rattling. they got that tinny noise. I yeah. thought it was a heat shield. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Um, not an uncommon, not sure what, yeah, not an uncommon thing. Have you pulled the rotors off and looked at the rivets? Uh, no, that was kind of my thought. Do I have room to put a bolt through there, or am I going to have to go back to rivets? Um, you might have to go back to uh, rivets. I've actually gone to the hardware store, and sometimes I find small carriage bolts. Okay. And I'll use a roundhead carriage bolt in there, and and okay. and, and that'll work. But you know, it's just it's it's the vibration of it. I've also taken those off completely. And I'll put a layer of dum dum, oh, all right. Sorry. You know, just a lay, just something to give it a little cushion, and then I'll I'll carriage bolt it there, and see what that does for me. Uh, this is a what year car, Bill? A fourteen? Fourteen, yeah. Yeah, it can't be a lot of rust on the rotors, but you know, just be cautious and mindful. Is there a rust ridge on the rotor that's rubbing the shield, setting it off, maybe? No, right. I thought it was a brake wear indicator at first run. I took it apart. No, okay. and I, I could see the there, there's no uh, rust, no rust rotor ridge. On, or okay. ring okay. on the top. All right, cool. Yeah, but that's that's where I would start. Was there a second part, Bill? Yeah, quickly, I got a trunk leak, uh, water leak, uh, anything you've seen. I understand there was a taillight recall, but my VIN doesn't fall on those parameters. Taillight recall, and we've also seen a few of the GMs of that uh, generation with the, with a seam leak. If you look at the body panels, look where the seam sealer lays where the body panels overlap each other. They seem to have Correct. a problem with... Like bubbles in the clay, and there'll yep, be there'll be, a, exactly. there'll be a little spot of seam sealer that all of a sudden you're just missing the least tiny bit of sealer there, and that's right. and that's where the water leak is. Easy enough to find out. You got to find somebody that loves you and trusts you. Stick them in the trunk <laughs> and hit it with water. 
Um, I hear you. I got talcum powder all over the back of that trunk trying to find some witness marks for it. Yeah, that's but that'll that'll do it. I actually locked Danny in the trunk. I think I have to let I think I have to let him out. No, wait, he's here today. Okay, I did let him out. That was two weeks ago. Boy, his mother would have missed him. Um, but uh, yeah, do it that way, and I'm sure you'll find it. But take a hard look at the way the seams overlay each other. All right, kiddo. Right, I appreciate it. You're very welcome, Bill. Thanks for being such a long-term car doctor listener. We appreciate you. Take good care. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye bye. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Ron and Andy, the car doctor, coming back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy, the car doctor, rolling along this hour at 855-560-9900. More information about us at cardoctorshow.com, podcasting, and all the usual good stuff. Hey, real quick, if you get out to Facebook today, Ron and Andy, the car doctor Facebook page, you'll see some pictures we just posted. Um, I'll read the letter. Hey, Ron, I'm a tech at a Toyota dealership in Minnesota. I just wanted to show you a 13 Tundra. I recently serviced this customer. had a major water pump leak and battery corrosion. I advised him he needed a new pump with belt, new terminal ends, and battery. I told my service advisor to bring the customer back so I could show him. And he told the advisor he's good, and he'll keep an eye on it, said the dealership is always trying to find something wrong and make money. Well, we can't fix stupid. Here's some pictures. Thanks. Love the show. You know what, brother? You're absolutely right. We can't fix stupid. It's uh, it's it's like the bumper stickers we got from o- Officer Emilio out there in Chicago that says, life is tough. It's tougher if you're stupid. I just, I don't get it. I've got those pictures posted up. I mean, my 94-year-old mother would sit there and tell me that battery's corroded, and that guy definitely needs a water pump, and she doesn't know anything about fixing cars other than osmosis from the past 61 years of me hanging around with her, so... Um, keep them coming. I love it. I absolutely love it. Let's get over and talk to Yosef in Kansas City. Is that Wichita or Kansas City? I'm not sure which. Um, some comments and speculation. Yosef, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Thank you, Ron. How's it going? Oh, good, man. What's going on? What's going on? Well, um, I uh, was on my way back to uh, Wichita from Kansas City this last couple weeks ago. And I noticed something that you probably have never seen around New Jersey. All right. But a Tesla dealership. Well, no, actually, we've got a Tesla dealership just down the road from us in Paramus, New Jersey. Uh, and it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of interesting that um, the way they're sprouting up, this one's been there about two years, but very, um, very chic, very well laid out, very methodical. You know, it's you know, I, I, I glance at it and I say, boy, that's the future. Now, how big is the one you've got? The one we've got is probably it can't be bigger than two acres of land because land in New Jersey is at such a premium. Um, well, it was just a small building. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, did they look busy? No, they actually. It was during the night when they were closed when we drove by. Did you notice? Um, did you notice the charging stations out there? No, I didn't. Yeah, they've got. Another, go ahead. Another thought I was going to say: What makes us think we're ready for self-driving vehicles? You know, I don't think we are. We can barely maintain the vehicles we have today. Joseph, to we keep. we can barely chew gum and walk at the same time. Uh, you know, it's it's to maintain a self-driving car. Here's the problem. Here's the bigger problem that I see with self-driving, autonomous, electric, all the high-technology vehicles, all right? Right. The problem I foresee is people are not ready for the cost. They're not ready for the cost. They're not ready. What's the first thing everybody does when the car breaks? Gee, do I have to fix it? There's always that hesitation. There's always that inclination to what can I get away with, all right? Right. 
and you know it's just not going to be able to go on. I'm waiting to see when I'll take it. I'll make it one step simpler. Have you driven a car yet that shuts off at idle? You know they 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 self start. They they turn off at a stop sign and then restart automatically when you take your foot off the uh, brake and step on the gas. Self starting cars. Yeah. Uh, now that you mentioned it, yes, yeah. uh, our 2005 Honda Odyssey has it. All right, so so that setup is well, I'm talking about a regular gas car, not a hybrid or or or, or, or anything else, just a regular yeah, gas vehicle. 2005 Honda Odyssey does that. Really? Okay, I didn't realize yeah. they did it that early. But that starter motor, that starter motor is spinning over at a thousand RPM or so. It's it's got it because it's it's instant on. It's got to be able to go bang. And, you know, when those starters go bad and they're $1,500, how great of an idea is it going to be then versus the two $300 or $400 a starter motor is now? People aren't ready to spend for technology, and that's the problem. Have you guys actually seen – I sent you an email a while back regarding the self-driving vehicles and uh, most of the appliances today – like your home appliances, they're getting so far advanced to where you, if you need milk or whatever, it'll send like a message to your, uh, like your infotainment system. Right. Well, that's right. That's like look at Amazon, and you know, there's talk that you're going to start to see Amazon Alexa in cars going forward at some point. You're going to start to see that you'll be driving along, and you'll tell Alexa, "Hey, Alexa, I need." You know, I need milk at the house. You know, find me a grocery store. Alexa will find you the nearest grocery store. All coming soon to a car near you, Yosef. The question is, are we ready for it technologically, and are we ready for it economically? Listen, babe, good luck to you out there in Kansas, and you keep those questions and ideas and observations coming. I appreciate each and every one of them. Jim Donnelly is coming up next. Some good old-fashioned old car stuff. I'm Ron Anning, the car doctor. We're back right after this. Don't go away. We're on the the car doctor here. You know, one of the great things about automobiles, the business, the camaraderie, the relationships is you've got friends everywhere. If if you're doing this long enough, and I don't think it's just because of doing a radio show, but just being in the business as long as I've had, as long as I am, I've, I've got friends everywhere. And our next guest for a conversation is a very dear friend. I've known Jim Donnelly for many, many years um, in another life, in another form. Both he and I used to have regular Saturday afternoon conversations about classic cars. And I thought th- this time of year, fall, we we're looking for places to go, the road to Chuchistan and uh, the, the rides to nowhere. That that would be appropriate to reach out to Jim and uh, sit down and talk to him once again. It's been far, far too long. Jim Donnelly, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Ron. How are you? I'm good. Where where are you these days? Uh, right now, I'm living just outside Albany, New York, and um, doing some freelancing. Uh, about to start work on a Chevrolet magazine for the Vintage Chevrolet Club of America. And just having fun in general. Yeah, and and you know, you I always got that from you, Jim. You just you always have fun. I really miss your articles in the other magazine. It's um, it's lost a little bit of panache in my in my in my mind. That um, the other day I, I looked at it and they wrote an article about um, collecting hot wheel hot wheels. And I get it while they're cars. That's not what I'm picking up a classic car magazine for. 
Um, but anyway, just just my two cents. Um, we're taking road trips, Jim. We're, we're, we want to get in our classic car, and we want to go take a ride. And, you know, the days of you are right, mom and dad, three in the back seat of the car, no seatbelts, 12 kids. And uh, off you went, right, with the picnic basket, and you always took rides, and you went somewhere this time of year on Saturday or Sunday on the weekend. Um, if you're in the New York, New Jersey, Northeast metropolitan area, where might we be going this time of year, current times now? Well, you might be going out to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and there's a couple of reasons for that, one of which is that it's pretty easy to reach from the New York metro area. And uh, you're talking from from your neck of the woods, Ron, I'd say about a two-and-a-half-hour drive, and it's on um, most of the getting there takes place on super highways, which a lot of our collector cars can handle, as you know. And... Um, it's just a lovely area, laden with history, with a lot to do. Um, I used to go out there with my family, my mom and my dad, uh, when I was a kid. And then when I got my driver's license in 1973, that was my first weekend road trip that I took solo. And you know what? I'm still doing it. Yeah, it's just it's just a great ride. Danny and I, a little off the subject here, Dan and I were talking about this the other day at the shop. We had someone come in. We were talking about, you know, how well and how much cars have improved over the years. Maybe you've got a better answer for me, is that we were talking about Model Ts. You ever stop to think about how in the 20s you drove a Model T from New York to Los Angeles, how long that would possibly take? It would take months. It would take months. But I'll tell you what, one of the things I like the best about going to Lancaster is that a lot of the roads out there are actually pretty well suited for something like a Model T or a four-cylinder Chevrolet uh, or even an early Essex or something like that. Right. There, um, there are a lot of high-crown country roads there, but even if you take the original alignment of the Lincoln Highway, which runs right through the middle of the county, the speeds are slow enough where most cars of that vintage would be able to handle it without a problem. Well, in the 20s, right, in the 20s, to take that Model T by comparison to L.A., a Model T had a top speed of, they, they said with a tailwind and a wing and a prayer, a Model T had a top speed of 44 miles an hour. And that was, that was, that was floored. All right, flat out, all you got. You would cruise most of the day at 35, but you probably maintained a steady speed of 30 miles an hour with all 19 horsepower that they possessed. And you, you, you would go ahead. You would want to um, you would want to take something like that out out to Lancaster County because you would find a lot of roads where you would not break a sweat just exercising the car. Again, I'm talking high crown blacktop. Some of it finished with slurry. And remember, you're going to be sharing a lot of those roads with Amish buggies because there's still a big old order Amish community that lives and farms there. Right. Uh, so you might find yourself behind something that's, that's got one horsepower. Do you think that they created a better road system? because of cars like the Model T that they didn't do well on the old... I mean, you know, in the 20s, they were all dirt roads. You know, it was... Is, is that part of what drove the country to create the interstate highway system, Jim? Do you know anything about that? Yes, I do. And uh, 
it actually predates the interstate highway system by about 20 years. Uh, some of the very early players in the American automotive industry, led by a guy named Carl Graham Fisher, who's best known for building the Indianapolis Motor Speedway with a couple of partners, those gentlemen realized that uh, they were all in the aftermarket business, and they realized that people would buy cars if they had a place to use them. And that led to a movement called the Good Roads Movement. It was a grassroots, a real grassroots crusade that Fisher and his partners mounted to get people to write letters to their mayors and their congressmen and their governors saying, let's find a way to improve the road network of our state and, and of interstate transportation. The Lincoln Highway is an early product of that. And it just accelerated, to use a term, to the point where the interstate highway system uh, came into existence. Regarding the interstates, a lot of the reason they came into existence is because the president of the United States at the time was Dwight Eisenhower. And in the 1910s, he undertook a cross-country truck convoy on what would later become the Lincoln Highway as a young Army officer. And it was just absolute agony to get across some of those rutted, muddy trails. And he realized that it would be um, a boon not only to commerce to have a limited access highway system, but also it would be hugely beneficial in terms of interstate commerce. And you know what? He was right. He was dead right. And I wish that uh, I wish that we could find some uh, support for big projects like that today. Yeah, it, it was... just doesn't seem to be there. Hey, Jimmy, be- before I let you go, in your mind, what's the number one? What do you think? What cars are out there? Just give me give me one or two cars that you think are underrated that you see growing in popularity. That's going to be the next '57 Chevy. What do you see the collectors going after? Because the market's changed a lot in the last couple of well, years since I, we spoke. One thing I really like are the uh, early Cadillacs with the North Star V8. They're luxurious cars. They're fast. They handle well. They're reasonable on fuel economy. That's number one. And number two, I think if you can find them and they're in good shape, the first and second generations of the Ford Taurus SHO. Okay, again, a luxurious sports sedan built in America. Okay, it had Jap- a Japanese engine. I admit that. Okay, right. but um, um, I owned one. It was one of the most satisfying cars I ever had. And if you can find one that's well-maintained uh, by looking in the right places where you can find a lot of want ads for them, uh, I think you'll find out that um, it's it's a hugely entertaining car to drive. And they're grossly, grossly undervalued. Yeah. Interesting. You didn't, you, didn't, you didn't mention anything that I thought you would from the 60s or the 70s, Jimmy. I'm going to have to expand my horizons a little bit and look a little bit uh, less. I'll look back less. I'll look back only 20 years or 25 years. So. Yeah, the future is now. Yeah, the future is now. Hey, Jimmy, if the listeners – are you writing a column anymore? Is, is, there any, is there any way we can follow you online or anything? Is there, if the listeners want more information about you? 
Not as yet, but what I'm doing is uh, I'm going to be taking over the generator and distributor for the Vintage Chevrolet Club of America, uh, and I will be reachable through that magazine. Okay. Well, when you do that, you uh, you give us a call. We'll, we'd, we'd love to interview you about that, what you find out over there. Vintage Chevrolets are always of interest to everyone, including myself. And uh, we can we, we can talk once again. Let's not let it become three more years. All right, brother. Okay, you got it, my friend. All right, you take good care, Jim, and my best to each and every one of you up there. And uh, have okay. a good rest of the weekend. Thank you very much. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Ron Annie, the car doctor, coming back right after this. Hey, welcome back, Ron Annie, the car doctor. Let's go over to line one. I think that's Benjamin on line one. And uh, see what's going on here. Benjamin, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Did we lose Benjamin? I bet we lost Benjamin. Ah, phone, phone glitch. All right, let's go to line two. Who's on line two? Line two. Hi, this is Ron Anini, the car doctor. Who's this? Bob. Hey, Bob. How are you? What's going on? I'm, I'm good, Ron. Thank you. Uh, I've got an old Corolla. I used to use it for a work car, and then I retired. Got a lot of miles on it. And um, I put on just cheap. Goodyear tires. Okay. Um, I'd rather replace them on occasion. And I, I used to drive it pretty hard. Now I don't. Up and down the freeway, I used to drive it pretty hard. But after about 20,000 miles, one of the tires, uh, a belt goes. I can feel it thump, thump, thump and hear it. And I, I worry about it. I can't, and I can never find which one it is. One day I stopped along a four-lane highway. It wasn't busy, northern Minnesota. And I took the spare and went all the way around the car, and I couldn't locate it. And I stopped at a dealership. It was a big box store, so there was, uh, my my trip to work was weekly, 200 miles each way. I was never more than 30 or 40 miles from one of these stores. So I stopped in there, and the guy looked at it. And he says, oh, it's that one right there. Okay. He could, he could tell. I'm not sure. But I'm not sure what causes What would cause that? I replaced the wheels. It, it was an S model with uh, alloy wheels. Well, And what, I went to a wrecking yard and put some steel wheels on it, and now yeah, it's happening again. I don't think it's the wheels. When you say cheap tires, um, uh, Bob, define cheap. You know, $50 tires, Chinese tires. Yeah, probably probably a $50 tire, $50, $60, an Arriva. You, you know, you, you, the, the explanation is you get what you pay for. Um, okay. You know, and it's it's it, my concern would be, and I'm not familiar with that particular Goodyear. Uh, I've never sold that particular tire. I've sold Goodyears from time to time. Not my first choice. You know, a, my concern is it, what's the quality level? If that tire is having a repeat failure, has it been more than once where that same model of tire has created a belt issue or created a, a, a noise distortion after so many yep. miles? It's just a, it's just a poor quality tire, and you okay. know, I, I would tell you to just be cautious about using it, even though it's an older car. You know, I would bet you if I'll, I'll tell you this, I'll make you a gentleman's bet. If you priced out, you know, that Goodyear versus a general ASO five or one of the general uh, tires that are out in the marketplace today, and you look at the price difference, you might be spending an extra two hundred dollars for a quality tire. But what's your life worth if that cheap, cheaper tire falls apart at the highway at 50, 60 miles an hour? And yeah, uh, I'm willing to pay the money. I just yeah. never really thought it was the quality of the tire. I, I thought it happened so often that it was like a, I couldn't figure it out. I mean, a good suspension. It drives good. It's tight. It's got almost 300,000 miles on it. But Yeah, I would. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm going to, you know, a good a good front end check, check the alignment. 
you know, and make sure the wheels are balanced, you know, shocks and suspension, basic mechanical checks. But if all of that, you know, all else being equal, whenever I have a conversation with somebody about I've got a I've got a repetitive tire failure on the same vehicle and it just it either loses a belt or it just doesn't ride right, it usually comes back to the quality of the tire. There is such an influx of poor quality tires in the country right now. I just said this to someone the other day that I think the quality of auto parts and tires is is going to be it's it's almost a national security issue at this point in my mind because we've we've just got poor quality stuff all over the place it's going to immobilize us um so get out to generaltire.com bob take a look at generaltire.com they've got all makes and models out there and uh, anything you pick in the general line is fine and uh you know i think you'll see a big difference but make sure they do some sort of mechanical look and an alignment to that vehicle as a uh, as a mandatory first step 855-560-9900 ron and Annie, the car doctor coming back right after this Ronnie, the car doctor here. Let's real quick sneak in Benjamin uh, calling in with some questions and problems. Benjamin, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, Ron. Uh, thanks so much. Um, so I bought a 2006 Toyota Highlander uh, a couple of months ago, and um, I looked at about a zillion of them. I kind of zeroed in on this um, year making model, basically, and they all have a little bit of schmutz underneath the uh the oil cap there where you put the oil in oh you know that um, te- you know that technical term schmutz that's a, yeah, yeah yeah well that's yeah, a good description uh, you yeah. know since i've yeah since i've uh, gotten this car i actually been listening to your show uh on podcasts and i've listened to every single one that's available since 2015 so learned a little bit wow. to say the least i appreciate it well thank you um but in any case, so what do I do about the schmutz? One thing is I think uh, it's probably time for um, some spark plugs, and to get to the back three, I've got to take the whole intake off. And at that point, should I just take the valve, co- valve cover off and then also address the schmutz? Or if I touch the schmutz, it'll get loose and get into the engine, and that'll be bad. How many, how many miles on this car, Benjamin? Uh, it's got 130,000. Okay. So the answer to the, to the above question, all all the above questions is yes. So this is a okay. t- this is a timing belt V six, right? This is a three O V six timing belt car. Three, it's a it's a three it's a three three. I just replaced the timing belt. Okay. Also, yeah. So you know you're gonna you're gonna do the plugs. You're gonna do valve cover gaskets. A little tedious. Take your time. Uh, I can tell you that doing the intake plenum, the frustration is going to be the intake plenum will be that in the back of the intake. Does this have a cowl overhang or is this direct access? You can lift the plenum straight up. Does the base of the windshield, does the base of the windshield extend out over the top of the engine? Uh, hmm. uh, I don't think so. There's a bar that needs to come. Okay, so the bar needs to come otherwise. off. If the cowl extends yeah. out, it's it pretty much it's clear cut. If you just look around, you'll see there's, if I remember right, there's seven 14-millimeter head bolts that run along the base of the cowl, and it lifts up and out. That might just be Sienna's and certain your Highlander's, not yours. In any event, the the biggest source of frustration on that job is in the back of the intake, there are two brackets on the passenger side. There's one on the driver's side. The, the bracket on the outside edge of the passenger side and the one bracket on the passenger side should both be a 14-millimeter hex head bolt. All right? Mm-hmm. Kind of tough to see. Feel for it with your mm-hmm. hand. 
All right. Mm-hmm. The other one that's yeah. a pain in the neck to get to, there's a 12 millimeter that holds the one bracket that's just in. It's holding the power steering line, if I remember right, to the back of the head. Um, just just right there, just a little bit in from that bracket on the passenger side. You get past those three bolts, you got it beat. You're made in the shade. As long as you're doing plugs at 130,000 miles and valve cover gaskets, think about at least replacing the back ignition coils as they're prone to failure as well. Got any questions, you know where to find me. I appreciate the call. Till the next time, I'm Ron and Andy in the car, Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. 